0: You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, tonight is how do we find Mr. or Mrs. Wright? And we're going to dive right into it. So, Proverbs chapter 31. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 10, listen to me, says this. So I'll let you turn there, but I'm going to go ahead without you. It says, an excellent wife who can find, question mark. The writer of the Proverbs, he, he hits it right from the start. He's asking the question here. He's at least through this question stating that it's a big deal to find an excellent wife. Or we could say it's a big deal to find an excellent Husband, but specifically, he says, an excellent wife who can find, he, he goes right at it. Finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright isn't easy. So, are you ready for your answer? I'm gonna give it to you right from the start. You ready? Fellas, how do you find an excellent wife? Are you ready? Wow. Y'all don't even care. Okay. Are you fellas ready? O- okay, all right. Uh, I need all of you girls who are single in this room to just kind of raise your hand for a second. Just do it, just do it. Come on, don't be bashful. All right, fellas, just look around. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna be done. That was the shortest sermon ever. I'm kidding, but uh, no, it's it's funny. Before I like gave the guys permission to look around, some of the guys kind of lean up and they're like, marking people down. Hmm. But serious question though, how do we find Mr. and Mrs. Wright? Like, how do we do that? How do we find an excellent wife? How do we find an excellent husband? What do you look for? Now, Psalm 31 speaks directly to this question. But before we go a step further, I've got to go on a little bit of a rant for a second because I think this chapter of the Bible gets treated so horribly by so many of us in this room. Um, If I don't address this now, I know because it's Proverbs 31, many of you aren't going to hear a single word that I said. Um, Proverbs 31, verse 25, Proverbs 31, verse 30 are probably two of the most picture-framed Facebook-covered, crocheted, girl-tattooed verses in the whole stinking Bible, and and this whole chapter is probably one of the most plagiarized texts in the whole Bible by dudes who want to convince their girlfriends that they actually read the Bible and they kind of write this in some little poem or whatever, and it's terrible. Um, And and so many people, so too many girls, honestly, and I don't take offense to this, but it's the reality. Too many girls. Get called P31, you know, Proverbs 31 get shortened to P31. I guess that's a cool thing to do. But they call P31 girls guy or they get called P31 girls by guys who, who really don't even know what that means. And so so many girls are being called P31 girls who are not actually P31 girls. Like this terminology is being tossed around too easily. And so hear me out for a moment. Proverbs 31, it was not written, fellas, so that you guys would have material for your next like lust poem that you're gonna write for your girlfriend. And girls, Proverbs 31 was not written so that you could get it crocheted or framed and put in your powder room on the wall. This is something that you carve into your doorpost, Deuteronomy 6-7 style. This is something that you carve into the side of your weapon. The Bible is not a book full of a bunch of pretty platitudes that look good hanging in your bathroom. It's it's full of powerful, life-changing, war-winning, direction-giving truth. We need to stop seeing the Bible as cute and we need to see it for what it really is. I mean, these are words straight from the mouth of God, straight from the mouth of God. Revelation 1.16, uh, John, he's describing his encounter with Jesus, who's about to give him revelation. And he's trying to find words to describe what he's seeing. In Revelation 1.16, he says, In his right hand he held seven stars, which is a whole other sermon. From his mouth, he says, from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. In other words his words were like a sword. Hebrews 4:12 says for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Ephesians 6:17 says and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. The Bible's not cute. The Bible's a sword. You snuggle with things that are cute. You fight with swords. And I'm challenging you. Stop snuggling with your sword. Pick it up, use it. I don't want to waste my time teaching tonight, so that you guys can walk out of here and plagiarize these words and use them as some pickup pick line that, on some poor innocent freshman girl. And I don't want to waste my time teaching tonight, ladies, so that you can take this and and I don't know what app it is on Instagram but but take it and word it out and then put it on this like serene background and post it and put like p31 under it. I don't want to waste my time for that. What I need you all to do is we all we need to get over our preconceived feelings, emotions towards this text and we've got to let God speak this much needed truth into our lives. So Proverbs 31:30 30, How do we find an excellent wife husband? What do we look for? How do we find Mr. and Mrs. right? And I think Proverbs 31:30 speaks to this more clearly and more succinctly than any other text in the Bible. And it says this, Proverbs thirty-one thirty says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be what? Praise. Now there's two things you need to understand about this before we move any further. One is um, this verse comes at the end of uh, the, the dude who's writing it. He's, he's just written this acrostic poem, and this verse comes at the end of the acrostic poem poem. Um, now, some of you people are like, what in the world is an acrostic poem? Well, an acrostic poem is basically a poem where the, the first letter of each line either spells something out or comes in some order. In this case, the Hebrew alphabet is what he's using here for this acrostic poem. Um, it's basically like an overachieving acronym that rhymes. Some of you are like, I don't know what an acronym is. Use acronyms all the time. LOL, laugh out loud. Uh, WTF, why the face? Uh, DFW, <laughs> Dallas-Fort Worth. Or this is a new one that I just Picked up on Bay. I didn't know Bay was an acronym. I thought it was like the cool way of saying "boo" now, but it's an acronym meaning "uh" before anyone or anybody or anything else. I don't know what that means, but the point is this: the point is this. This all comes to like he's writing this acrostic poem, and it all comes to an end here. And he's he's summarizing up everything he said into this concise sentence that we get in verse thirty. But the second thing you need to see is this: even though this verse says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I mean, outside of the fact that right here, this guy, he's, he's writing about his wife and I don't think he wants us to change that up. But the reality is it's not just the woman who fears the Lord who should be praised. Anyone, like any human being who fears the Lord, man or woman should be praised. It doesn't matter. Like man, the most praiseworthy, the most noteworthy quality that any human can have is that they fear the Lord. And so he says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. And how we're going to read this verse tonight and take it in is, But the person who fears the Lord is to be praised. And here's what I want you to see from this text tonight. When it comes to trying to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, um, which, by the way, one of our students, uh, his name is Kyle. Uh, Kyle, wave your hand. He's up there. Uh, his last name is actually Wright. So, ladies, Mr. Wright is right there. Um, <laughs> He's got a girlfriend, but hey, they're not married yet, it ain't over, so you might have some hope. Uh, Sorry, Cammie. Cammie's like, hey, I'm going to get in trouble for that. But here's what I want you to see tonight. When it comes to finding Mr. or Mrs. Right, there's, there's two qualities that we often put way too much value in, and then there's one quality that we can never put enough value in. In other words, here's where we're headed. Tonight, I want to start off by pointing out to you two qualities that we often describe way too much worth to. And then after that, I want to show you the single most important quality to look for in a, in a person. So first, he says this. Charm is what? Deceitful. Now, I've, I've already told you all confess this, that... Um, that uh i'm not good with guns i I talked about this the first part of this series i'm not good with guns i didn't grow up around guns my parents are scared of guns Um, but i have been hunting a couple times i've only killed one thing in my life um and it's a prairie dog which shouldn't even really count if you know anything about prairie dogs like basically you can come outside with your gun or whatever and just yell be like hey and then like all these prairie dogs will come up out of their holes and be like what's up you know like just pose (laughs) And they won't move, and they kind of do this chirp sound. I think they're saying, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. And so that's what I did. I shot one. I thought he was telling me to, and I just, anyways, sorry, PETA, uh, ahead of time for that. But um, that's the only thing I've ever killed. I, I, I went turkey hunting, though, for the first time two springs ago. And in the spring, when you go turkey hunting, like, there's rules and stuff that you've got to follow. And so uh, <clears throat> this particular time we went hunting, because it was the spring, and the spring, by my understanding, is you can only kill male turkeys, a.k.a. they're called toms. You you can't kill the hens, the female turkeys, and so while we're out there, we're trying to call in these uh, these male turkeys, but only female turkeys were coming in, so we weren't allowed to shoot any. I, I almost gave in and shot one, but that would have been against the law, um, so we couldn't shoot anything. So we we left because we didn't call any toms, and we left without shooting any turkeys. So we're walking back, and uh, we see on the fence this bird, and the fence is like maybe ten yards away from me, and I wanted to shoot something. And so I, the guy I was with, he's a buddy of mine, his name's Thomas. He's in my home group here at the church, and. Uh, And I was like, dude, you know, we're on his property. So I was like, hey, you care if I shoot that bird? Uh, Which right behind the bird, about 100 yards is their house. And so he says, well, hold on, move over here first. And so uh, I'm still like 10 yards away from this bird. And he goes, yeah, it's fine, shoot it. And so I take the shotgun and I shoot it. Uh, I shoot at it. I miss the bird. And he goes, he starts laughing. He goes, good thing you missed that. And I was like, why? And he goes, that was the state bird. That's a felony to shoot the state bird. And I'm like, why did you say it was okay for me to shoot the state bird? And he's like, I knew you would miss it. So I wasn't worried about it. (laughs) But anyways, if you've ever been turkey hunting, I want to kind of go back to this. If you've, if you've ever been turkey hunting, you know like there's a process to it. Anybody here ever been turkey hunting before? Okay, a few of you. So that's awesome. Like you know there's a process. Like there, there's a process that you go through to draw turkeys in to you. Um, you. You use different turkey calls. And I brought one of these turkey calls with me tonight. Um, so you use different turkey calls. I believe this is called a slate call. I don't know. There might be a fancier name for it. But you use different turkey calls. And And the different calls make different noises, things like that, right? And and this one, there's different noises that you can make with it. I'm going to try. Sometimes this turkey gets nervous. Um, But... uh, (laughs) Now, you can't laugh while you're hunting, so... (laughs) <laughs> you're my best friend, whoever just did that. Um, so, so you make these different noises, right? And, and supposedly, my, my buddy may just make me do this because he just wanted me to look stupid, but supposedly you can do this too. Maybe that they, I think they make this cluck sound. But anyways, the, the point is you make these different sounds. And, and what you're doing is you're basically trying to charm the turkey. You're, you're trying to speak the turkey's language. And in the springtime, you're, uh, you're basically trying to talk dirty to it. Because you want, the, you want to say what that turkey wants to hear, and in, in the spring, those male turkeys have like one thing on their mind, and that's hot turkey sex. And so you want to speak to it and, and convince it that if it comes closer, that's what he is going to find. And so you kind of you do this, well, you know, that's like sick turkey or, I don't know, flu turkey. Well, shoot, man. That's like, that's like uh, hey, baby, come on over here. Um, uh, anyways, the, the, the point is, like, we're, we're trying to call these turkeys in, and when you're trying to call them in, you're trying, to, you're trying to, to charm them in. And if you've ever called a turkey in, like, you can watch it. You get real quiet, and you're in your camo. You don't want it to see you. And, and, and you're watching. You can just see, like, in their little bitty turkey mind, they think that they're walking into, like, this, they're about to find turkey love. But the reality is, what are they walking into? Death trap, yo. They're walking into this death trap. And all because they've fallen for this, in this case, not so high quality, but hopefully in other cases, high quality turkey calls. And what's happened is through doing this turkey charm call, we've made them think that we're another turkey who wants to hang out with them, if you get what I'm saying. We've made them think that we're another turkey that... that, that, is acting like we care about these other turkeys. But the reality is we're just like cold-blooded killers. I haven't killed a turkey, so I guess I'm not. But like we're just killers hanging in the woods trying to kill them. And, and, and the point is this. Charm is deceitful. You want to date somebody. You want to marry somebody who's going to lead you towards life, not towards death. And listen, girls, you especially, I, I feel like, have to watch out for this. Guys will spit all kinds of game just to get what they want from you. Now, you can't be amen in that. You aim, you, that's the one thing you aim in from me. You don't aim in everything else. Come on. You are on amen timeout for the rest of the night, okay? (laughs) Guys will spit all kinds of game, okay, at, at you, ladies. And there's, 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 there's plenty of guys that are going to spit this mad game at you, but they don't have your best interests in mind. And they're not going to lead you towards Jesus. Unfortunately, this story I'm about to tell you, I, as I was studying this week, I, my mind kept coming back to this story a couple of years ago. And what I was going to say, unfortunately, this is not an isolated occurrence. This is something that happens semi-frequently. But a couple of years ago, I, I had a student in my office I was meeting with. I, I had a couple of other um, leaders with us. And we were meeting with this student, this, this, this girl. And she begins to share what had been going on with, with her boyfriend. They would essentially been living together, sleeping together. And, and as she's telling us about their relationship that she was really struggling with, it became very clear that he was simply using and abusing her. But she didn't realize it. And, and let me just pause there and say this. I, I would not doubt for one second that there are many girls in this room who are being used and abused by your boyfriends, but you don't even realize it. But she was being used and abused by her boyfriend. And, and, and because he kept telling her that he loved her, And he kept expressing different emotions like she she couldn't leave him. And it was so obvious that this dude did not love her. He just wanted to get from her what he wanted. Charm is deceitful. And and though I think you girls are more susceptible to being deceived by charming guys, it works both ways, fellas. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 says this, My son... Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips, he says, of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech, her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood. Fellows, we are not... Um, immune to this idea of being deceived by charm. In fact, it's dangerous for everybody. Charm is deceitful. And all too often, we allow ourselves to get swept away with words. But if we're not careful, you might get swept into something that you don't want to get swept into. Because charm is deceitful. But second, he says this, beauty is what? He says beauty is vain. It's interesting to do a little word study here on the word vain. And, and side note, when I say word study, this is a, this is a great study tool um, or tip for you. When I say word study, what I mean is we understand that the Bible was not written in English. You understand that, right? I mean, obviously, it's written here in English. This was translated into English. It was not written in English. You got that, right? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in, quiz? Greek. Greek. Okay, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are just too scared to say it. Yeah, Greek, you're right, nerd. Uh, Hebrew and Greek. And so, when I say word study, what I mean is if you've taken any language before, you understand that some things get lost in translation. Now pause for a second. I'm not saying that the, the Bible that you read in English is not correct or, or accurate. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there's value in going sometimes to the original word and, and seeing what it all is packed into that word. And sometimes certain words, you know, in this case Hebrew, are not always translated the same English word. You follow my train of thought? So in this case, um, the... Uh, the, the, the Hebrew word for vain is the word havel. And, and so it's interesting to go and look and to see the different ways that this word havel is translated in Scripture. And I'm so fascinated, um, which actually I meant to tell you this too. So word study helps. So some of you are like, well, I can't read Hebrew. I can't read Greek. I can't really either. But there's some great tools out there to help you. And one free online tool is blueletterbible.com. Um, it's a tool that I use just as a quick resources, resource. There's better tools out there. But it's free, blueletterbible.com. You can go on there, click on the word, and it'll help you do the word study. But it's very fascinating to look at this word, havel, and see the different words that are used to translate it in Scripture. And there's a few of them. Um, Breath, vapor, uh, empty, nothing, um, worthless, and then two others, false and idle, and I find those words so interesting. Now they use vain here because that's what works here, that's what fits here, not just in English, but like in the use of that Hebrew word, that's how it should be translated. But in that Hebrew word, it carries really a pretty, pretty stout meaning. I mean, I find it so fascinating that the word idol can be translated from the word Havel. I mean, how often do we idolize beauty? How often do we idolize beauty? We do this in so many ways. First, in pursuing it ourselves. Like so many of you, so many of us in this room, we make a God out of our our desire to be beautiful or or our desire to be good looking. And so your sanctuary is the weight room or your sanctuary is the treadmill, your sanctuary is, is the tanning bed or you make sacrifices to the God of beauty by not eating or by working out yourself to death or by spending tons of money on different supplements or different things. We make make gods out of our boyfriends or our girlfriends, and so we're so terrified to lose them because we feel like in losing them, we lose our identity or we lose our whole reason for existence. And in some cases, your sanctuary is your bedroom. That's where you worship. You worship the God of beauty on your bed. We make gods out of the female and the male body. And your sanctuary is essentially wherever your computer or your iPhone is and a little bit of privacy you make daily sacrifices to the God of beauty by spending so much time and so much money looking at pornography. We idolize beauty. But he also, uh, one of the ways this word uh, Havel can be translated is false. Like you can't get a true gauge of a person simply by the way they look. And when I think, uh, while I think girls are usually more susceptible to being deceived by charm, guys are usually more susceptible to being deceived by beauty. Fellas, we can become so blinded by this. We'll compromise so much just because she's beautiful in our eyes. And that's great if you're physically attracted to her. But listen to me, if, 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 if that's the only way in which you're attracted to her, which sometimes you're so blinded by the way that she looks, you can't even tell that's the only way you're attracted to her. If that's the only way that you're attracted to her, then that relationship will not last. Uh, this word's also translated empty, nothing, Worthless. which it's interesting because just one page over is the beginning of the book, Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse two, the second verse of the whole book, you see the word five times vanity. It's the same word, havel, vanity or vain. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And a whole other sermon here, but the whole point of this book, he says over and over, everything under the sun is vain or fleeting, not gonna last. And the point is, look, everything right here is vain, But once you look above the sun, in other words, once you look to God, that's where the things that are not vain are. And everything else is empty, nothing worthless. And then this word can be translated as breath or vapor. And, and, And honestly, as I think about that, breath or vapor, I think that's the most telling translation of this word. Because what it's showing us is just as quickly as it can be there, it can disappear. Like beauty changes, beauty fades. You can't build a relationship just on physical beauty because as it fades, so will your relationship. Um, so my grandparents, all my grandparents have passed away. I've actually got a photo of my, of my mom's parents. This is my granddad, my grandmother. I called him uh, Papa Gaga. Now, pause for a second, okay? This photo's from like 2004, 2005, so it's really, really old. Don't make fun of me. Um, but uh, did you just say, ooh? <laughs> what in the world? Come on man, first she amens at the wrong thing. Now she's saying, Ooh, door is right over. Th- no, I'm just kidding. You can stay. No. So I, I want to show you this picture. First of all, just kind of context here. This is the last photo I had with my grandmother. I called her Gaga. I called him Papa um, or pops. And, um, uh, last photo I had with my grandmother Gaga and, uh, perfect photo, right? We're all like throwing up the deuces, but, um, we had just got done playing dominoes. Uh, that was kind of their thing. That's how, how I spent time with them towards the end. And, uh, uh, it was so funny. My, my grandmother Gaga, she would always try to cheat at dominoes, and she would use her physical illness as like her um, to try to like get at your emotions to help her cheat. So like we'd be sitting there playing dominoes, me and Pops and Gaga, and uh, and she'd look at me with her, you know, she had the little oxygen to take in, and she'd kind of breathe real heavy, and she'd be like, she'd be like, Austin, can I please have that domino? I was like, heck no, Gaga, I'm gonna win this game, man. Stop trying to cheat. And uh, we get in arguments, but she really wasn't that mad. But anyway, so we're, we had just finished playing dominoes. Last photo I had with her. Not the last time I saw her. Second the last time I saw her. But I show you this picture because um, my, my grandfather, Papa, he loved my grandmother like crazy. I mean, it was insane. He loved her so much. And, and in the last, really, probably seven or eight years of her life, she just physically was not doing well. I, I called my mom today, asked for permission to show this. Uh, picture. She goes, dude, if your grandmother knew you were showing that picture, she would murder you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> she's not going to know. So uh, anyway, so Papa took such good care of my grand- grandmother because he loved her literally to death. I mean, he loved her to the end. I mean, till death do they do you part. Like that was their story. And, and I think that's so awesome because I was thinking back, like I've got another picture of when they first got married. Um, maybe there it is. It's kind of stretched out. They look a little goofy, but you know you look at this photo, and I got some good jeans right like they 're good looking people. Uh, I think they missed me, but uh, you know you look at this photo compared to the other photo, and they look totally different i mean years later i don 't know what year this was in it was a long time ago, but they looked totally different you know over those years and and you know I look at the, I think about the other photo I, my parent, my grandparents were awesome, they were beautiful people, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and, and here, obviously, they're, they're beautiful people, but, like, their physical appearance changed for both of them. Yet, it didn't change, like, their relationship. And the reality is, over time, your physical appearance is going to change. Like, that's what I want you to see. This is why you can't build a relationship just on physical beauty. Because if you do, as the physical beauty fades, so is your relationship going to fade. The foundation of your love cannot be physical beauty. The physical attraction is good, and it's even important, but it's not at all the foundation. It cannot be the foundation. So he says, beauty is vain. You can take the photo down. And finally, he says this, but but a woman, and as we're reading it, but a person who fears the Lord is to be praised. This right here is the single most important quality to be found in a person. Though we often place way too much value on those first two qualities, we can never place too much value on this one quality. So he says, charm is what? Deceitful. And beauty is vain. But the person who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is the most important thing that you should look for when you are trying to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Do they fear the Lord? If they don't, nothing else matters. Like walk away, earlier rather than later, walk away. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say uh, the person who goes to church is to be praised. This is important. Notice that it doesn't say the person who goes to church is to be praised. Notice it doesn't say the person who uh, believes in God is to be praised. It doesn't even say that. Um, I, 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 I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with students, many of you, and then um, just other people in my life, and, and they're dating somebody, guy or girl, they're dating somebody, and, and uh, <clears throat> they, uh, they've been going out on dates for a while, like not just one or two dates, they've been going out on multiple dates. And, and I'll ask the question, well, does she love Jesus, or does he love Jesus? And so often I get answers back that sound like this, well, I don't know yet, we haven't really talked about it. Or I'll get, well, yeah, he goes to church, or she goes to church, or I get this one. I can't tell you how many times I get this one. They'll say, yeah, he does believe in Jesus, but he doesn't like to talk about it he, just because it's kind of his personal faith. He likes to keep that to himself. Or, or they'll say something like, um, I don't know, we're still, we're still figuring that out. And when I hear that, I just want to be like, listen, if you don't know by the end of the first date whether or not they love Jesus, then either A, they're mute, or B, they don't love Jesus. I'm serious. Anybody can go to church and not fear God. Anybody can believe in God even and not fear God. James 2.19 says, you believe that there's one God? Like James, he's kind of being sarcastic here. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. He can believe in God and not fear God. She can believe in God and not fear God. Just because someone goes to church doesn't mean they fear God. He says the person who fears the Lord is to be praised. What does it mean to fear God? You ever thought about that? I think one of the most telling texts for us in helping us understand this is Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20. This is like when God comes down on Mount Sinai in this consuming fire to uh, to give Moses the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and it's interesting what we read here. Exodus 20, verse 18 says, Now when all the people, this is the people are the Israelites here, tons of them. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. So they see God and all of his power come down on this mountain, consume the mountain in fire, thunder, lightning, smoke. And they're freaking out. I mean, rightfully so, like they realize how massive, how huge God is and they're terrified as a result. And so it says they stood far off and then verse 19, they, they, they stood far off and then they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Like they were so terrified of God that they were, they were afraid that if he spoke to them, they would all just drop dead. And they had other reasons to believe that than just their experience in that moment. So verse 20 says, Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now listen to that because that's kind of a, no, that's definitely a confusing verse. Moses' response to the people who are terrified, he says, do not fear for or because God has come to test you so that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now, that verse is really confusing because at first glance, and, and really this is what it's saying, it, it, he's saying don't fear God, but instead fear God. I mean, you seeing that in the text? He's saying, look, hey, stop freaking out. Freak out. It's weird, like it doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense when you, when you think about it. These people saw how massive God is. They saw how powerful and even violent his presence was on the mountain. And they were terrified of being destroyed by God. But I love how John Piper puts it. He said this, The fear of kindling God's powerful wrath against sin ought not to drive us away from God, but to God for mercy. And then he goes on, he says, If you're running from God because you're afraid of him, then you're not yet as afraid as you ought to be. Now think about that. He says, if you're running from God because you're afraid of him, then you're not yet as afraid as you ought to be. In fact, your very flight is a mockery of God, presuming to think that you could even outrun him. If you really fear him and love your own life, stop running, turn around, and hug his neck for dear life. I love those words, and and this is going to be a terrible illustration, but it's going to have to work. Um, so, <clears throat> I, I love dogs. I absolutely love dogs. That's one thing I wouldn't shoot. Uh, cats, another story. But I love dogs. And uh, around my apartment, there's, there's two people that live, like downstairs next door to me and then downstairs behind me in those apartments. There's two massive and very intimidating dogs, and like, I don't really get scared of dogs, but sometimes these dogs scared me. Now, I've, I've met both of the, if you meet, can you meet a dog? I've met both of these dogs before, <clears throat> and um, and they're both very nice dogs, but one is a German Shepherd, huge German Shepherd, with a huge bark, um, and then the other one is a Pit Bull, and you know, Pit Bulls have psychological problems, so they're all scary, um, but so Pit Bull, German Shepherd, and so like, I've met them before, and oftentimes I'll come out of my apartment and i walk downstairs and the German shepherd is out on the little patio behind the gate, thankfully. And he'll just suddenly, I won't know he's there and he'll just see me and just start to bark like crazy. And when he's barking like crazy, I, I don't know if he's barking like, Hey, I remember you. Let's hang out. Or if he's like, I, I, I either I remember you and I hate you or I don't remember you. I'm going to kill you. You know, I don't know which one it is. And so it kind of freaks me out and I don't really get close to it unless his owner's there. But then I'll walk around the corner more to where I park my car. <clears throat> and, uh, Sometimes the pit bull is out on their patio and he'll start jumping up like almost to the point of jumping over the fence and he's barking like crazy and his eyes are like freaky looking. And so I'm thinking the same thing. I don't know if you're barking because you're remembering me and you want to hang out with me or like you, you don't remember me and you want to kill me. I don't know what it is. But there was one time I was walking out of my apartment to my car and my neighbors downstairs had their pit bull out, not on a leash. And uh, I come around the corner and kind of startled them and the pit bull. Uh, just takes off like running. Dogs don't run like that. But anyway, he (laughs) takes off running at me. And, uh, you know, it happened like in a split second, but it happened really slow in my mind. And so like in my mind, I I see this pit bull turn and he's like barking and he's running, running at me. And uh, (laughs) that's just weird. I can't do that. So he's running at me. And in my mind, in that split second, like, here's what goes through my mind. My first thought was like, ah, you know, like run, but you don't run from dogs, like you just don't do that, okay? One, you're not going to outrun a dog unless it's like this dinky wiener dog, or <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if y'all know the Rollins, Kevin and Vivian Roland, they may actually be here tonight. Are they here? Are y'all here? No? Oh, yeah, they are, they are here. What's up? So there's some of our life group leaders uh, on Sunday mornings, and uh, they have this uh, this disgusting mutant dog that's like... <laughs> It's huge, and it's belly, like, they don't even have to clean their floor, because the belly just sweeps the floor as it goes by, and uh, it's got this nasty mucus coming out of his eyeballs, so, like, like, you can outrun, actually, you can outwalk that dog, uh, you'll be fine, but you don't, you don't run from a dog first, because you're not going to outrun most dogs, um, but secondly, you don't run, because when you run, it somehow, it like, it evokes or sparks this aggressive, like, side to the dog, and I don't know if it's aggressive, like, like, hey, why are you running away? You must have done something crazy. I'm gonna come kill you, you know? Or like, uh, I, or, or like if it's, hey, uh, why are you running away? I wanna play with you. You're gonna play with me. I'm gonna, you know, chase you down. I don't know what it is. But either way, it sparks this aggressive response. So you don't run from dogs. So instead, like I threw that idea away. All this is still happening in like a split second. And so I brace myself, right? Because I didn't know what the dog was gonna do. And I accessed my inner ninja, just in case I needed to punt the dog, you know? <laughs> and it jumps up at me. And I'm still like, okay, what's about to happen? So I kind of move my face away, put my hands like this, and then he just starts to lick me like crazy. And I'm like, really? Like, you could have approached me a little bit differently, bruh. <laughs> now, the illustration completely breaks down, but here's the point. So to fear God is to know his power. It's to know his hatred of sin and to know that he's the only one who can destroy you. Yet, simultaneously, he's the only one who can save you. And, and most fear causes us to run away, Right? But our fear of God causes us to actually run to God. And this is one of the many paradoxes of Scripture. Like you want to lose your life, or you want to save your life, lose your life, or many of the first will be last. Well, in this case, the fear of the Lord doesn't drive us away from Him, but actually drives us closer to Him. And listen, the fear of the Lord is a significant thing, and it's significant because of this right here. If if your greatest fear is God... There's no room for the fear of anything else. Now think about that. If your greatest fear is God, there's no room for the fear of anything else. It's true. There's no room for the fear of of anything else. If you fear God, then you won't fear death. I mean, if you fear God, you won't fear disease. You won't fear sickness. If you fear God, you won't fear man or man's opinions of you. If you fear God, you won't fear being broke. If you fear God, you won't fear being alone. If you fear God, there's nothing else you should fear. The only thing there might be room for is the fear of sin. John Wesley, he was a a well-known evangelist, preacher, pastor from like the 1800s. And uh, he said this, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I, can, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. You know, the only thing that there might be room for is the fear of sin. But if your greatest fear, of God is, if, if your greatest fear is of God, there's no room for the fear of anything else. That being said, unfortunately, the reverse of that is true as well. If you don't fear God, then that means you will fear other things. And see, typically we approach the concept of fear as if it's something bad. So we aim to overcome our fears. But the Bible says, no, fear the Lord. This is the one fear that we should never overcome. Yet, sadly, this is the one fear that I'm afraid most of us have actually overcome. It's like we've gotten over God. But listen to me, if you can find someone who fears the Lord, that person will make an excellent husband or wife. Now, all that being said, let me ask you this question. Why would any of you want someone who fears the Lord if you yourself don't fear the Lord? Or better yet, you would assume that someone who fears the Lord would want that same quality in the person that they date or the person that they marry. So the question here is, can that quality be found in you? Um, I love how Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta, he says, are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? So the question on the table is, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? How seriously do you take God? And, and let me just be honest with you for a second. There's very little fear of the Lord in our culture of Christianity that we're surrounded by. Actually, I'd say for the most part, there's no fear of the Lord. Everyone seems to say that they believe in God or they love God. Sometimes they'll go as far as saying they believe in Jesus or they love Jesus. But that quote-unquote belief or that quote-unquote love doesn't really affect the way that they live. Our acknowledgement that God exists Is almost humorous because it has less effect on us than a child's acknowledgement that Santa or the tooth fairy exists. If we feared the Lord, we would have a much less casual approach towards sin and a much more urgent response to the Great Commission. So the question on the table is what do you fear? Who do you fear? What do you fear most? What's your biggest fear? And let me tell you what I think a lot of you fear most. I think many of you, maybe this is maybe not what you fear most, but this is one of the things you fear. It's like up there. Many of you, you fear being alone. For many of you, one of your greatest fears is being single the rest of your life. And let me just, uh, let me speak to this one for a minute. It's about to get real in here. So I'm 30. I'm not married. I don't know if you knew that. I'm not married. I'm 30. I'm not married. I want to get married. I have the desire to get married. I don't want to be a lifer. Somebody with the gift, you know. I want to get married. But, but listen to me. That being said, I would much rather be single and faithful to Jesus than married and have to sacrifice my ability to be faithful to Jesus. If you fear the Lord, there's no room for the fear of being single your whole life. And think about this. Why? Why is that the case? If you fear the Lord, there's no room for the fear of being single the rest of your life. Why is that? If you fear the Lord, you trust God. And I'm not saying none of this, oh, oh, I'm dating Jesus, bull. Like, you don't date Jesus. You follow Jesus. You trust Jesus. You don't date Jesus. But the bottom line is, if you fear God, you don't fear being single or you don't fear being alone. Now, you might not like it, but that doesn't mean you're afraid of it. And some of you, you're so scared of being single or being alone that you will pursue anybody. And some of you, you're so afraid of being alone that you will say yes to anybody who's pursuing you. Fear God, not singleness. The fear of singleness renders so many gifted people useless in the kingdom of God. The fear of God, or the fear of singleness, takes so many people away from their involvement in God's mission. The fear of singleness has blinded so many people to the fact that their season of singleness is actually a gift from God to be used for his glory. The fear of singleness is effectively causing so many people to literally waste their lives Fear God. Don't fear singleness. Others of you, your greatest fear or one of your greatest fears is losing the one that you're with now. Like you're afraid to lose your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse. And this equally hinders your ability to serve Jesus. Instead of faithfully following Jesus, you're compromising so as to make sure that you don't lose the one that you're with. And it also hinders your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse's ability to follow Jesus. Because you're afraid that you'll lose them. So instead of encouraging them to follow Jesus, you're discouraging them to follow Jesus. Because you're afraid that they'll get hurt or you're afraid that they'll get sick or you're afraid that they'll even die or you'll never see them again. It was interesting, a, a couple months ago when some of us were in South Asia... I've shared stories from here before, a very persecuted part of the world. And, and one of our translators, he had been translating for, for me for a while. I got to talk with him and kind of hear his story. He's a, he's a, a, a Brahmin guy, high caste. So, in other words, like top of society. And, uh, and so for him to, to become a Christian was a huge, huge deal. Um, but he began to share his story. And after he became a, a Christian, he got married. And he told me this, and this has stuck with me so, so much since. He said, look, when I married my wife, she and I together made this commitment that we would never, ever love each other as much as we love Jesus. And he said, honestly, without that commitment, we wouldn't survive in this culture. And, And then he began to share some stories where they had been heavily persecuted, physically persecuted, like their life was being threatened, literally. And moments where he would look at his wife and she would look at him and she would encourage him, do not stop. Do not deny Jesus. Keep on going. I love you, but I love him more. And I'll see you when we get there. Some of us, our greatest fear is losing these people that we're close to. And in doing that, it hinders our ability to follow Jesus and it hinders their ability to follow Jesus. And let me just say this if you get married one day, it's probably going to make you a pretty bad parent too. Because you're going to be so terrified of losing your kids. And instead of encouraging them to follow Jesus, you're going to hold them back from following Jesus because you don't want them to get hurt. You don't want to lose them. You don't want them to move to the other side of the world where God's actually calling them to go. So Proverbs 31, 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the person who fears the Lord is to be praised. As we close this out, I just want to say this. This is about more than just choosing a spouse. This is about choosing who you're going to serve the rest of your life. And the reality is, if you want to serve Jesus, you can't marry just anybody. But it goes even further than that. It's about so much more than just the person you're looking for. This is about you. This is gut check message time. And the question on the table is do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.